Good morning. It is uh, so good to be with everyone today. It's just uh, fun as you know things are slowly moving in ways around our world and our communities. So I want to uh, kind of start us off uh, wondering: you know, Have you ever heard or read something that just maybe against all odds captivates your attention? Brings you know, somehow it just sticks in your focus. Maybe a story, a book that sings out to you in some way. Maybe something that just keeps sticking in your mind. I want to share a story that does this for me. It's a, a story about Saint Francis of Assisi, who's actually one of our pair of theologians that go with our theme this morning. We have come to our last week in our Faith Matters series. If you have joined for any of our previous weeks, you know that each week we have had different voices, different theologians to accompany our look that is, uh, as we look at what is essential of our Christian understanding. But before digging into more of where we've been in their series, I want to get to this story, right? So um, legend might be a better word for this, especially of the early saints that St. Francis is one of, there's often these different narratives that seem to surround them. And unlike our scriptures, the church hasn't really kind of gone back and canonized what's in and what's out for these different stories. I like kind of like this better because I think it kind of lets them these stories, these people uh, come to us to figure out what's, what are they worth? What's it, what's it worth to us? Um, and besides, right, we kind of want to figure out if we're talking about Jesus, God's son. Okay, let's figure out what's in and out. This is just a saint of the church that while helpful, hopefully instructive, maybe potentially provocative, uh, right? These were just normal flesh and blood people, right? Just like we are. So St. Francis lived in the late 11th, early 12th century in a town of Assisi, hence the name Francis of Assisi, which is found in the Italian countryside between Rome and Venice. Francis was a respected monk, a teacher. Often folks would come to him for help or advice. And the story goes that in a nearby town of Gubbio, I hope I'm saying that right, I'm not sure, but uh, they had a problem with a wolf. And this wolf was terrorizing the town, eating the livestock, making its roads unsafe. People died, right? They're, even, right, they're, they sent the guards, and there were casualties from the city's guards as they were attempting to kind of take care of this wolf. Things were bad. And of course, here in the story, they turned to one of their local pastors for help. And maybe, maybe this is part of what I love about the story, I don't know. But St. Francis comes to that town, learns of the situation, and against everyone else's advice, decides to go for himself to meet this wolf. And once there with the wolf, Francis, of course, figures out and finds a space of connection Throughout stories of St. Francis, he seems to have this, this profound connection with animals of all kinds. So Francis learns that the, the wolf was forgotten by its pack and was just trying to take care of itself, hungry for food. 
The people who died were casualties of the wolf just seeking to protect itself as it was scared all alone. So what does Francis do? Of course, Francis brings this wolf back to town and I'm sure convinces this town amidst its skepticism instead of being afraid of this wolf to feed it, take care of it as its own. And at first, right, yeah, I'm sure the town doesn't know what to think, but of course, eventually, even including those widows of those who had died, they have their hearts softened by Francis' account of the wolf's story, and, and they do. They take care of this wolf, and then the wolf becomes a good wolf, right? A wolf that protects the town. The wolf stops harming the livestock, the people, for the rest of its life. And there you have it, right? There's something just weird and bizarre about this story that I love. Uh, maybe it's this reversal. Maybe the optics of the, the terrorizing wolf becoming essentially kind of a town's mascot and pet. Um, it's a little bit fanciful, right? Uh, but who's to say it couldn't happen? But uh, we better move and get to today's scripture before I keep rambling about this weird story. Uh, we're going to continue kind of our look as we've been reading through uh, the book of Acts. And I invite you to listen for the word of God from the book of Acts. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about their possessions, but held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among all of them. There's no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bringing the proceeds from the sales and placing them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Joseph, who the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, that is one who encouraged, was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field, sold it, brought the money and placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. They would come together regularly at Solomon's porch. No one from outside the church dared to join them, even though the people spoke highly of them. Indeed, more and more believers in the Lord, large numbers of both men and women were added to the church. As a result, they would even bring the sick out into the main streets and lay them on cots and mats, that at least Peter's shadow could fall on some of them as he passed by. Even large numbers of persons from towns around Jerusalem would gather, bringing the sick and those harassed by unclean spirits. Everyone was healed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this passage of scripture is, is very similar to the passage from last week, right? The disciples have gathered in Jerusalem. The miracle of Pentecost has happened, which actually we're going to be reading and celebrating as a church for our next Sunday. And throughout this whole series, we've been reading about kind of the response to this event, the Apostle Peter, right, stands up after the Pentecost goes, gives a moving address we've been reading, and then we've been working through the parts of the address of 
what happens after, what becomes how the early church responds. Last week, we focused on how the early church was when they came together, how they were about teaching and prayer, shared meals, community. This week, we are focusing on what the early church community does out of that space of community. Sure, right, it's great when we come together and share with one another, but how does God rightly call our community out to be more than what happens in this room? Over the course of the several weeks, right, we've been looking at these common themes of our Christian faith and what it gives us, right? We started looking at our common humanity and the way that God makes each of us in God's image. We continued, right, though, very quickly to look then the next week at the common problem of sin that seemingly comes as a reminder too soon for each and every one of us as we think about our brokenness, despite the ways that we are unique and wonderfully made. The next week we looked at then obviously the common solution that we proclaim comes to us from faith in God and a miracle of Christ's new life and resurrection. And last week, we, we started that turn to our own questions of so what and talked about our common home that we find and create as community here. This week, we're looking at our common mission because of what we believe and the ways we come together, how are we called to act? As I reflect on our scripture just the, that type of sharing that we find in our scripture always blows me away. This idea of completely giving up possessions, I don't know for you, but for me, sometimes it kind of stresses me out. How, how would that actually work? Could that actually work? I think it points to this space of complete surrender, as well as obviously this tight-knit, trusting community we read about in, in Acts. But how far is right this common mission supposed to go? I don't know about you, but I, you know, right, we see these TV televangelists, right? They have folks dig out their wallets and they say, you know, repeat after me, it's not my money, it's God's money. And right, they're, they're not wrong about that, but we've seen how much of a mess that can produce sometimes, especially right when our individual egos and our selfishness gets in the way. And right, if we actually read, we read two parts of Acts and there's a spot in between we conveniently skipped over in our scripture today. I invite you to read it, but it goes, it shows how quickly things can unravel sometimes. Um, and even these early church runs into this problem of what do we do how do we work through our own, our own selves, right? And yet, it feels like there should be some kind of space between right, us selfishly clinging to our every scrap and possession and this kind of no-holds-barred, sometimes dangerous unknown of giving all we own away. I think it's good to note, though, I think, on a whole, if we were to put these kind of on two extremes that maybe we want to avoid, uh, you know, where, where are we as, as a community here in Plano? You know, do we, do we tend to just give everything away? Or are we a little more 
maybe on that conservative and clingy side with our, our possessions, with our money. Uh, please don't tune me out though, right? I, I think there are so many ways this church breaks that mold and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. So our choice of theologians today, I think help us remind us in healthy ways what we can, I think, unfortunately get mistaken about our church at times. Our theologians are St. Francis of Assisi from my opening story and his counterpart in protege, St. Clair of Assisi. Francis actually started life with much wealth and status and tried to even pursue kind of military glory, but after failure and misadventure, turned his life wondering what on earth God has in store for him and started to, to really devote himself to serving God and others. And Claire was the, a follower of Francis that became kind of this kindred sister, creating her own separate following, but kind of both of them following in these same uh, patterns of what do we do when we give ourselves to God? They grew up in a space where there was much ritual already around the church and what people thought the church should be about, right? Often how we come to sometimes people came in, sat through the sermon, put a portion of the money in the plate. And just like anything that goes on for a while, right? The church and its people got complacent in what it really meant to live and serve God. But Francis and Claire worked to kind of this different order. They, they, they created this rule to live that was different from what everyone else's normal status quo faith was. Uh, for that time, they, they formed what we call monastic orders that challenged its members to live by kind of certain standards to live out their faith. Last week, you might remember Stephanie talking about Elaine Heath's new monastic communities that were created to help people do kind of the similar rethink, restructuring of their faith and how it relates to faith and community. The monastic communities that Francis and Claire started though, these were kind of what those Elaine's communities were based on. The particular way of life Francis and Claire challenged their members to was a life without possessions. And there's many other monastic traditions that each have their own different rules, different ways to be. But the ones that were inspired by Francis and Claire worked to not be tied down by what we own. They went so far as to encourage their members not to even take money for their own services so that they could serve God and others and not be motivated by their own potential greed they simply lived. They lived and served and sought to serve those around them with all of who they are. And this became so radical because it, it pushed people from a, a form and function faith that just meant like the, t the times you were in worship, you know, this is what it means. But instead, what does our faith mean when we are away from worship, when we are living in the world, when we are interacting with others? there became a greater sense of what our church mission and purpose should be about. So we don't and can't just gather for what feels like a great time together. This means that so little in the scope of the big things, right? This is just an hour of our week of our time. 
Instead, right, we have to remind ourselves, and Francis and Claire remind us, we gather as the church, as Christians, because of what God calls us to do when we leave this place. We say, right, is our, is our church, is our Methodist church, in this church here, that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we take this seriously here, right? We have a whole entire program of our church that we call Serving Others. And many of you, of course, are, are already so involved in these ministries. Some of these ministries take place here on campus, like our Project Hope, which is a life coaching and mentoring program that helps families transform life through practical life skills like budgeting. We have school partnerships with Dooley Elementary and a new one that started with Frankfurt Middle School that begins next school year. And these are partnerships that we support teachers and students in a variety of ways. We work in our local community through ministries like the Rebuilding Faith Team and the Men's Service Group that help homeowners repair various you know, maintenance projects and stuff for their homes. And we're in ministry, right, with homeless in the Collin County community through projects like the Plano Overnight Warming Station, Streetside Showers, Sandwich Blessings, Snack Packs. And we even go out of state and even out of the country with the Vision of Light team, which provides prescription eyewear to those in need. Services, so much a part of our identity here at Christ United and we believe that it's so important to our faith formation, right? We're, we're concluding this whole series about why faith matters with a focus on it. And so you can probably see this challenge coming, right? This is before I even say it. But I want to push us today. How do we take our faith, the faith we celebrate together each week as we worship, out into the world. Right, I just listed this whole laundry list of programs that are available for us to jump into here. But the great thing about this is, is there's so many ways we can serve, right? Serve those around us. Um, I also just get excited when we think about the ways of serving that haven't been invented by our church community yet. Right? What idea or need is out there just waiting for us to step faithfully towards? Thinking again back to our scripture in that early church community we read about in Acts, I can't help but get that sense of boldness and passion that they had. They sought to share with those around them they sought out those that needed healing, needed help. And I think what holds us back at times from this kind of two is twofold, right? We, we get complacent, right? We get used to what we are used to. It's understandable, right? We get bogged down with life, with the day to day to day to day. And as great as it is to be in worship together, we often just get used to sitting in our seats, right? Whether, whether the seats are here, whether the seat's at home. But I think the other part of the equation is conquering both the fears we have, right? The small fears is the large fears. Sometimes they're logical, right? They, they give us this hesitancy for good reason. 
maybe this is also why I like that story, right? Just like Francis, sometimes it is this wild, untamed wolf that we're approaching. We don't know what might happen, right? We're coming vulnerably to serve. There's always risk. And we don't serve, right, because we expect everyone to instantly become a Christian, right? Just become great people and change their behaviors and be better. But we we serve because of the world God calls us to help transform, right? God will be with us as we get outside ourselves. And we know that God works through our faithful offerings, right? After all, we remember God is in the business of turnarounds and transformation. I pray that that is true in our lives as well as in the lives of all we encounter. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.